This is the Shoot Once Podcast, a podcast about the Columbus Blue Jackets and the NHL, a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome everyone to the Big Play and Preview Show. Uh, we've got a lot going on this week. We're going to be breaking down the Blue Jackets and the Maple Leafs matchup. We've got an awesome interview with Jeff Nash from Rinks Around the League. Uh, and a lot to talk about craziness, just insanity happening in Arizona right now. But a lot to get to, so I'm excited to get to it here. Uh, starting off, just a refresher for those of you who aren't, who, who can't pay as much attention to this and spend as many hours as someone like me, who I, I shouldn't. It's not safe for me. But I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff throughout the day and the week. But it starts off next Saturday. We've, we've got the, the exhibition games coming Wednesday and Thursday, which will be fun to watch. It'll be fun to kind of get into it and get a sense of what we're looking at before it's a playoff game. But this really starts in earnest next Saturday. So the reason we're doing the play-in show now is the next show won't come out till next Monday, and by then we'll have two days of, of playing games having or playing rounds happening. Uh, but Saturday kicks off in the best of five in the Eastern Conference. Rangers and Hurricanes at noon. Panthers and Islanders at four. Canadians and, and Penguins at eight. In the Western Conference, there's a three o'clock game uh, that's going to be Chicago versus Edmonton uh, and Winnipeg versus Calgary in game one, which will just, this is going to be great. Sunday's the day we're all super looking forward to here. We get the round robin game uh, in the Eastern Conference, Flyers and Bruins at three o'clock. Then at eight o'clock, Jackets and Maple Leafs. In the Western Conference, you'll have the Coyotes and Predators in game one, the Blues and the Avalanche in that, that round robin game in the middle there. And then Wild Canucks at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. So, again, just hockey all day these days. It's going to be great. I cannot wait for it myself. I'm super excited about what's going to happen with all this. And, and as an, an explainer to those of you who might not quite be sure why you're seeing the round robins there kind of earlier, the general plan is these round robin games are going to be, if there's three games in a day in a city, the round robins will be the middle game. And the reason for that is... The round-robin game is easier to schedule because they are going to have regular season overtime. So if that early game goes to lo- goes to multiple overtimes, then it can only push this game. We know what that middle game is going to be is closer to length. So it's exciting. It's really good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I wanted to start... I know a lot of Blue Jackets fans, you guys read The Athletic, you read The Dispatch, you read uh, uh, The Cannon from SB Nation. Uh, you know, you, you, you follow the Blue Jackets stuff. Um, first Ohio Battery, you read those things. So uh, some of my preview stuff is going to be from the perspective of, of Maple Leafs, uh, from the Leafs stuff I've been reading, because there's a lot of great... The the good and the bad of being in the center of the Maple Leafs universe, uh, there's kind of an overinflated sense that the Maple Leafs are the center of everything. But the good side of that is there's so many people watching their stuff that there's a lot of good breakdowns of it. And as the team playing, then we get to see a lot of good breakdowns. Uh, so here, Leafs Nation did a really great uh, write-up here by Nick D'Souza, uh, breaking down essentially the concerns the Maple Leafs have going into it. Um, the mini battles, as he puts it, which I found to be a really interesting read. Um, one being puck possession versus quality chances. And in this, it's a he goes through it and talks about how to win each battle and how this is going to go. Now, one thing I do want to talk about as we're getting into this over and over and over again from every source I've seen they've talked about oh this is the skill versus will series 
I hate that. That's ridiculous. And the reason I hate it is, obviously there's lots of players in the Maple Leafs who really want this win. Um, the big ones you're thinking of are guys like Tavares. Even their young guys, like Matthews and, and Marner and all them, and not Nylander, they know the narrative around them. They know the story of, you can't win anything, you've never won even around. So they want this. They really do. Um, Jason Spezza, He's a he's a he's a veteran who really wants to win this because he's never won a play a Stanley Cup. This may be one of his last chances. He knows that. These guys know that. And then on the Blue Jackets side, yes, the Blue Jackets do not have quite the pure scoring talent that that the Maple Leafs have. We've got better defensemen. We might have a better uh, one of our two goalies might be both be better than Frederick Anderson. I don't know, but it's just. I don't like it's just a simple way to discount things and be oh this is skill versus will eh, it's a difference in in styles and it is somewhat necessitated by how you what talent you have but for the Blue Jackets it's going to be about lulling the the Leafs in with this puck possession stuff because the Leafs are really good something that you will see watch during this series and that will drive Blue Jackets fans mad is there will be times Toronto has the puck and it looks like the Blue Jackets just can't get it away from them when those things happen, start looking for when do the Maple Leafs make mistakes. Because the Blue Jackets, something they are going to be looking for is trying to take that moment. with Because the, the Maple Leafs, what they love to do, when they have the puck, their defensemen, the ones that score, will start trying to come on in. They'll start coming down from the, the top of the ice, start trying to, to create pressure right in the goal zone. They don't do what the Blue Jackets do. When you've watched the Blue Jackets play, when you've seen Jones or Wierenski or Nudavara or whoever it is starting to creep down into the offensive zone, you'll see a winger start to fade back towards the blue line so that we can cover, so that we don't get a lot of odd man rushes. The Leafs don't play it that tight defensively. So there will be chances where the Blue Jackets will get a turnover or if there's... If they shoot the puck and it bounces off the goalie's chest and there's a defenseman right there who can throw it up to a winger who's at the blue line, you could definitely see some two-on-ones for Columbus. The trick is going to be who gets those two-on-ones. Because if you're like me, it seems like half the time you watch, every two-on-one is Riley Nash or Boone Jenner. And I'm not saying they're not good players, but there's other Blue Jackets I would much rather get a two-on-one going than Riley Nash and Boone Jenner. Um, one of the things he's talking about here, the Leafs breakout versus the Columbus forecheck, and this was a really good piece that I would recommend uh, reading here. It's um, yeah, Jack Hahn's uh, newsletter he does. And he compares the Blue Jackets' defense to an icebreaker ship. And it's not a bad way to, to illustrate it because he talks about the icebreaker ship. And you can see the image here if you're watching on the YouTube channel. If you're just listening, you can hear me talk about it. Essentially an icebreaker ship. It's a ship that has a strong point, but then a strong hull. So the idea is that that strong point breaks through the ice, clearing away for other ships. Well, the Blue Jackets defense, the forecheck, is uh, what's known as a 1-2-2. Meaning there is one forward who will push into the, def- who will stay almost in the in the opponent's defensive zone, even when they have the puck, to try and force them to put the puck to one side or the other. Then you have two forwards to try and either push them up against the wall to cut off their passing lanes, things like that. And then you have two defensemen staying back at the blue line to try and prevent entry if they get through there. And, and the Maple Leafs, they're talented enough that they can, they can get through that. They are fast enough. But will they be disciplined enough is the thing. 
because this requires a lot of trusting your teammates, trusting um, trusting what you're seeing to get through it there. With the Blue Jackets, they, will, they hold to their defense, and it's what's made that team so good this year, is that we hold to our defensive capabilities, we try and not let many quality chances through, uh, and even when they do come through, we hold our 1-2-2, in the defensive zone, where the defensemen are staying down on near the goalie, helping keeping the slot the the cross uh, the slot passes from happening, and the forwards try and minimize the the passing opportunities so you can create a turnover. And those cross the ice t- opportunities—that's the worst thing you can see. If you see a pass go across the ice and it's not intercepted, and the other team still gets a shot off, it's bad, guys. It's not what you want. So, so that's going to be another part of this of this breakdown uh, here and what needs to happen there. Um, one of the things he talks about is they need to play physical hockey. And and he D'Souza, somebody who's watched the Maple Leafs and watched them play in the playoffs last few years, he knows more about this than I do. And what he talks about is the, the Maple Leafs in the last couple of years seem to have not been able to figure out this line, especially in the playoffs of, you hit a point of being too physical. You start getting calls. You start getting penalties. And and how it seems like the last few years when they've lost to the Bruins, the Bruins seem to know how to go right up to that line. And maybe it's just as simple as the refs don't call it on the Bruins as they do on the Maple Leafs. Uh, but the but that that physicality of the game is something the Blue Jackets are really good at and and very very talented at getting around. Um, as far as knowing how to prevent, as far as keeping the game tough, uh, making it so that they're getting those hits in, making it so that they are um, doing so without getting getting uh, the penalty called on them. The Blue Jackets have shown a very good ability to do this. And uh, last year it was uh, really well shown when Kucherov got suspended uh, in, the, in the playoffs. The Blue Jackets are really good at, at getting under team skin because they play that tough defensive style. When you have a freewheeling offensive team, if they can't get through on offense and they don't play good defense to try and back it up, you start getting those problems of, of you get frustrated, you take an extra swing late in, a, late in the scuffle, that sort of thing. Whereas the Blue Jackets, because they're getting that defensive stop stops going in, they don't do it quite as much. And the other thing is a lot of the Blue Jackets fight. I mean, let's just be honest about it. There's not many players in the Blue Jackets who aren't willing to get into a scuffle if they don't have to. So it's interesting to see that. Now, on the Columbus positive side of things, Sportsnet had a good piece out a week or two back by Andrew Berkshire about how Seth Jones may be a big difference maker for this team. And I know there is now continuing an analytics debate about how good he is. I'm still of the opinion that Seth Jones drives offense on this team. That he can, he creates things. He makes it so that other teams have a harder time uh, getting things through, and that um, they're just it, it, he makes it easier there. Um, so, uh, yeah, what you're seeing here are breakdowns where it's the where it's. Um, the Blue Jackets are able to essentially what what uh, what Seth Jones is able to do is when he's playing defense, he's strong defensively. He create he stops slot slot passes. He stops uh, he slow he kind of um, 
works on on shot attempts. He he's he's good at doing those things, and then getting the puck down the ice when he get has it. And that having a healthy Seth Jones back on the ice is going to be very good for the Blue Jackets, which leads me to a piece that Allison Lucan wrote today. And I remembered seeing this once she started talking about it because it it did happen for a very short, short period of time that you could see Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones together on the power play. Now, they did this for a while back in December before Zach Wierenski got hurt. And then after he got hurt and came back, they didn't really go back to it, but it looks like they're looking at it again. And it's a decision that just makes sense. It's something that makes, that in my mind is something you would uh, uh, want to do, something that, and the reason I say that is, Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski both have particular offensive skills. Seth Jones has the big cannon shot um, that's really good. Zach Wierenski is a little more shifty and has a a nice little flip shot he does. Uh, The wrist shot, I mean. So these are the kind of players you would want on that power play that's been struggling. And and I understand that from some perspectives it's, well, no, if you put Jones on one and Wierenski on the other, then you have that talent spread out. Well, the, when we've had it spread out, it hasn't worked out well. Um, for a team that has issues scoring, consolidating some of that offensive firepower onto one power play makes more sense. And it's strange because on this team, our offensive firepower is is defenseman in some ways, um, but then you just use it to make that power play better. So I'm very intrigued to see what the Blue Jackets do. I'm I'm wondering if they're going to run this uh, against the Bruins uh, in the in the exhibition, or if they're going to try and keep it a surprise. But I mean, now that there's an article out of, out about it, and and again, John Tortorella is not the kind of coach who really feeds on. Oh, we're got to keep something in there and and have a bag of tricks or anything. That's just not what he does. He tends to just go out and play, and our guys will have to beat your guys and just have to outplay them. So I'm as of the opinion that uh, th- this will be cool to see. I, I think this is a, a smart move. I'm interested in seeing it for a couple of games. I mean, if it doesn't work for a couple of games, we all know Tortorella has no problem shaking things up and moving things along. And he very well might. But, I think this is probably a smart way to go. And will be a wrinkle that the Maple Leafs probably aren't overly ready for. They're used to seeing the four defense, the four the four uh, forwards, one defenseman. And and on top of that, Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones, these are these are, are unique players in the NHL. I mean, we know that the offensive moving defenseman is a thing that's happening now uh, more and more, but they're very good at to have two of these types of players on one team and to be on one pairing. I still think messes with hockey players to an extent. Um, I mean, we're getting closer to a time of what we call positionless hockey, where there's not really defensemen and forwards anymore. They all just play the game, but... We're not there yet, so I think this still throws teams off a little bit, and I'm interested to see how it will play out and and everything that's going on. Uh, The Athletic had an interesting piece out about, is Pierre-Luc Dubois number one center? Experts opine on the hurdles he must clear. So some of this is some long-term stuff for him. Uh, I mean, the the ideas in this range everywhere from, yes, he's definitely number one center to, uh, he's got some things to work on to somebody saying, well, it's not when, it's not if he'll be a star, but when. What I think we need to see in this series out of Pierre-Luc Dubois, this is a chance for him to really push himself to the front of the NHL stage a little bit. And th- this is what a lot of Blue Jackets will find. Yeah, you beat Tampa last year. And that was great. And it was a huge story. 
as we all know, the hockey media revolves around Toronto. I mean, just revolves around it. It, it was it's a it's a joke that whenever a story breaks out in the NHL, somebody's first response is, "Okay, but how does this affect the Leafs?" Which is just the normal response because obviously everything has to be centered on the Leafs somehow, right? Why not? So, um, the. To the point that when the Kraken released their colors this week, somebody said somebody did the tweet joke of how does this affect the Leafs, and almost immediately someone had the quote about what Austin Matthews thought of the name and logo because because that's important. It, it's not, but some of these players um, in growing their reputations and trying to and I don't know if they want care about their reputations, but in how they're perceived around the league, what happens in the series can go a long way towards that happening. If all of a sudden you see. Seth Jones and Pierre-Luc Dubois dominate this series, then next year they will start the season in conversations for for trophies and awards and all sorts of stuff, which I, I know hasn't happened yet. Except, I mean, Seth Jones a little bit for the Norris, but that's what we'll be seeing. For Pierre-Luc Dubois, what, what needs to grow in his game, because the defensive part of it tends to look pretty good, um, but I remember specifically this year in one game they played against the Maple Leafs, Pierre-Luc Dubois had the puck down in the corner and essentially Austin Matthews was on his back and he essentially just pushed him back to get in front of the goal and I don't remember who even scored the shot. It was just the fact that just using his size and strength he just created that space. And what I want to see out of Pierre-Luc Dubois in this series is elevating to that point of showing to the whole league he's the number one uh, in the NHL, that he is uh, the type of center you can win long-term with. Will he pull that off? I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens. I, I'm not going to make predictions on this series, so, so to speak. Um, if you want to hear a prediction I gave, uh, House of Hockey on their podcast, I think it was last week, they had a bunch of us from the Hockey Podcast Network record uh, expectations for our play-in teams, and I did one there. What I fully expect to see are three to four really hard-fought games, and I fully expect to see one game where Toronto wins in a blowout. Um, just a game where things don't go right for the Blue Jackets, where they... And, and by blowout, I mean something like Toronto wins like 4-1 or 5-2 or something like that, like a, like a, like a three-goal win. Because I just I expect there to be one game where things just don't go right and Toronto's skill just comes out and their their great shooters just come out. Now that being said, could the same thing happen the other way? Yes, definitely. I mean, we saw the Blue Jacks do it to Tampa, so I don't have any doubt they could do it to the Maple Leafs. But I mean, obviously we don't have Panarin anymore on that. But I think some of these guys could step up and we could have a big scoring game in one of these. Now near the end of the week, there were some real issues because during all of these. All of these little scrimmages the Blue Jackets have played, they have been the the shooting's just been the the scores have been ridiculous. It's looked like all star games. Apparently, John Tortorella was kind of ticked. There's two ways I think about this, and none of them am I too worried about. One, when you watched them, they weren't hitting like they were playing real games. They really weren't. They weren't playing Blue Jackets hockey in big parts of it because they just weren't hitting their own guys, knowing. I've only got so many guys, and we've. it felt like the players kind of were like, eh, we're not going to bang each other around for this. And maybe that's not what Tortorella wanted to see, but I get why they did it. 
the other uh, part of it is when I was in when I was a kid, I did uh, did plays and stuff in high school and some in college. And there was always this kind of feeling from a director, from the guys who did it, who'd done the shows for years, saying things like, "Well, you don't want the dress rehearsal to go too well. You kind of want the dress rehearsal to be a bit of a mess. The last the last big rehearsal you do before you do the show." It's like, well, why? Why do you want it to be a mess? It's like, well, that way you know what you're doing wrong. Because if you don't make a mistake or you don't run into a potential problem, you'll probably run into it the night you do the first show, and then it'll be a big mess. So maybe that's maybe that's a good way to look at it. That. We want to have the bad night now, the bad the bad events now, so we can get them out of the way. Either way, there, um, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I cannot wait for this. I think the Blue Jackets will hold their own. Uh, I mean, in a five game series, it's hard to say who's going to win because it's just hockey's such a weird random sport. I'm super looking forward to it though. If the Blue Jackets get to the next round, I will not be surprised if they get into the actual playoffs. Uh, I will be if they do win. I will be super excited to see how Toronto melts down. And by Toronto, I don't mean the Maple Leafs specifically. I mean kind of the Toronto area and media bubble of of people talking Leafs all the time. I, I will if the Blue Jackets win this series, what you all need to do is go find a radio app that plays sports radio out of out of Toronto internationally. Because the day if the Blue Jackets win this series you need to turn on Toronto Sports Radio the next morning. Uh, that's something I always enjoy doing, turning on sports radio in a city where a big story happens and you get to hear what the fans think because it's always kind of entertaining. So I would highly recommend that, folks. It'll be a good time. But now we're going to jump to our interview with Jeff Nash. Uh, got a quick message from the Hockey Podcast Network first, but then we've got our interview with Jeff Nash. And uh, I'll be right back. And then after that, uh, we've got a couple other things to discuss, some, some just insanity going on in the league. But then we'll be right back to that. Some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And now Semenko out in front of the goal, pounding away at Joe Kocher, who's down on the ice, holding the back of his head. Um, you know, actually, what, what really surprised me, especially with Twitter being like Leaf Nation, was Grimson over Colton Orr. That actually, that voting really surprised me. I didn't think that would happen. Don't forget to catch the Fourth Line Voice Podcast wherever you find your podcast presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Mark Bergevin. And everybody goes on and on with the whole PK thing and blah, oh, and he hated him because he doesn't like fun and blah, blah, blah. I have heard from a few people that Mark Bergevin's hilarious. No, this guy was a riot. You know, he would uh, be at the bar and he's like, oh, I just had a penis colada. And the girls would like give a double take and be like, what? He's like, yeah, I had the penis colada, you know, I, it's not bad, you know. This- Enforcer-based podcasting wherever you get podcasts from. Well, everyone with the uh, Shoot Ones podcast, welcome Jeff Nash from Rinks Around the League. Uh, how are you doing there today, Jeff? I'm doing great. It's, uh, the players arrived today in the city and uh, I think the, the city and everybody around here is pretty excited. That's awesome. It's it's, it's got to be a different experience as a fan being in these in these hub cities. Uh, for all of us, it feels like kind of this faraway thing. For you guys, you see it on the streets of your city. How things are changing. I mean, as as someone who lives in Edmonton, what does it look like for you? I mean, just noticing the differences that you've seen day to day on everything. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's um, I think 
with what they they probably would normally do i think even just uh <clears throat> excuse me when uh, i was in calgary when they did a big playoff push and then edmonton did a bit uh went two rounds when i was with the team a few years ago and they were able to put up like banners and you know you saw a lot of people kind of displaying their kind of uh excitement for it and it's, it's a little different this go around just because uh uh there's not a whole lot like in my video that i just published a few days ago you can see some of the things that they're building um but there's not a whole lot of um like there's no banners you know some cities have like the banners above the the traffic lights and on light poles and that kind of thing and they haven't really done that so it's it's a little different um you would think there'd be a little bit more to be honest but i do know that um you know just during covid and and tough economic times it's it might be they might be limited in doing that so um but definitely the people around here it's definitely the talk of the town people are, are pretty uh, uh excited to see the teams um, and obviously the oilers uh hit the ice again yeah it's it's crazy just just how everything is going now for people who don't know you or haven't watched your youtube channel rings around the league what's your background in hockey where how'd you get into i know you worked with the oilers what what did you do with them and yeah, so um, born and raised here in Alberta. I grew up in a really small town of Irma, Alberta, which is uh, about 300 people, um, uh, really small. So I played hockey all the way up till junior B uh, in Wainwright, which is a neighboring town. So I've, I've played hockey. I've, I've, I was an official to kind of earn extra money in high school. So I've kind of reffed and lines. Um, and then, you know, just kind of kept uh, dabbling in it. I, I worked for, I was a columnist for a kind of a weekly junior hockey newspaper here in the province. And then kind of my first real big break was with Hockey Canada, which is the, uh, the head uh, amateur association here in Canada, equivalent to Hockey USA. Um, and uh, I was with them during the Vancouver Olympics, which was a, a pretty exciting time. I was the uh, uh, video photo coordinator at the time. And uh, did that for a few years and then um, caught my other really big break with the Edmonton Oilers as a manager of video production. So I was with the Oilers for about five seasons and um, it was a really cool experience. Like I got the five years that I was there. I covered everything from, uh, you know, Connor McDavid's draft year, his rookie year, um, the farewell Rexall place. We said goodbye to our, our original barn and uh, I covered the construction of Rogers place, which is where the, uh, the hub city playoffs are being hosted. Um, I covered that building from a hole in the ground all the way to the, the uh, completed structure that it is now. So I covered a lot of stuff. It was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I had to step away mainly for, for being home with family. I have uh, four young children at home. So uh, being on the road with the team, you know, it definitely took its, its toll on family life and, and the marriage and stuff. So I had to, had to find something a little bit more close to home. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. I can, as being on the road, as much as you are, that would be a, a rough go. Um, so as far as the original inspiration for your YouTube channel with the <clears throat> talking about the different ranks around the league, was that something you were always interested in or became interested in as you started traveling around and seeing these buildings or, or what was the inspiration for that? Yeah. You know, when I, when I grew up in the small town, like um, the hockey arena, you know, you would travel to other towns around your, your town. And um, you know, there are such small towns that the, the arena 
was like the epicenter of that community. Like whenever you drove to the town, you would always be able to see where the rink was because it's usually typically the biggest structure in the town. So it physically and, and metaphorically, it was, it was the, the heart of, of the community. And, you know, I kind of knew when I was with the Oilers and I would travel around all, all the different teams and cities in the, in the U.S. and in Canada, um, you know, I, I definitely wanted to capitalize on the opportunity to be able to travel. And, you know, I've been to all the rinks um, in every uh, NHL city. And, uh, you know, every time I went to the rink, I was just, I was really intrigued on what made each one different. And maybe a little bit when they were constructing, constructing Rogers Place, um, seeing from a, a construction point of view how these buildings are actually built and how much goes into that. Um, I'm just really interested on how each team had their different take on a rink. Um, they're all different. Most people kind of look at it and they're like, Oh, they're all the same. They're all just hockey rinks. But when I, when I go there, I would notice all the different um, characteristics of each one. Uh, the one in Columbus, for instance, um, I think I did a, uh, my review of Columbus um, and uh, First Nation Arena is is uh, it, it's a, a hidden gem. Like me being a Canadian in Alberta, uh, for whatever reason, I just I didn't think hockey when I think Columbus, Ohio. I just didn't register in my brain that it's like a, a big hockey place. But when I went to First Nation, um, I was just blown away. It, it's a really nice rank. I always tell people that. Uh, it's a, it's a hidden gem in, in, in the league because I, I love the brickwork. Um, I mean, I love and hate the cannon. Uh, I, I'm sure, um, you know, fans love it because it, it annoys the heck out of, of, of the opposition. I mean, when I was there with the Oilers, I think, I think we lost like 6-2 or something. You guys hammered us. And, you know, they, they fire once uh, when they introduce on the ice and they fire once when they win a game. So I, I heard that thing like eight times. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just, you know, and what I did when I went to all these rings is I took photos. Um, I don't know if you can see, I don't, I don't know if I have one up behind me, but I, I would take photos of the same place in every rink and I kind of would line it up on my uh, office cubicles, kind of like postcards to remind myself that I've been there. And every time like people walk by like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, like you know, which one's the best in the league. And, you know, I, I would give my take on it, but I would always tell them like, Hey, it's all subjective. And the re the, reason why I did this series was I wanted to give each rink kind of its own little review. And I, I would hope people would kind of, you know, binge watch um, all of them and maybe some, some stick out like, like the, the one in Columbus. Um, I, again, I had no idea how cool of a rink it was. And that was really my goal is, is to give NHL fans um, kind of an unfiltered un NHL um, view of each rink. And to, for them to be like, hey, you know what, let's, make, let's take a road trip to Columbus. This, I heard that rink is really cool. And that, that was really the drive is to show people each rink is different. And um, there, there's some hidden gems out there. And to kind of persuade them to, to visit these rinks. And, you know, hopefully with, with all this COVID business, it, uh, fans will get an opportunity to do that in, in, in the next year or two. Yeah, I, 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 it's funny how I hear your, to your sentiments about Nationwide Arena because they're so – that's kind of what you hear echoed around the league. Oh, hate the I was cannon. calling it First National, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah. Nationwide. Nationwide. Sorry. <laughs> but it's a uh, – yeah, that canon people love and hate it. In, in, in Columbus, we love it because it's our thing. We, we love that people hate it and that it, it scares them. I mean, every time 
uh, reporters send out tweets showing people jumping at it. We just love it. So, Oh, totally. Like, and it's I, I, what I loved. And I, I think I had my review of my videos. I don't know if they still do it, but they, they put cannon, cannon, half cannonballs up on the wall for every goal that was scored. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big sucker for branding and logos and, and just characteristic uh, of each building. And I love that. Like, I love the fact that they've, you know, they have balls in the wall being shot by the, you know, the cannon and the sign by the player. Like that's, that's phenomenal. I like that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the idea is a little, a little corny, but I liked it when I saw it. Cause I'm like, Oh, the idea is that when the cannon fires, the cannon ball actually goes somewhere. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> shot somewhere. Um, so, I mean, getting into these, these hub cities, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious from how the, the virus and how things have been handled. I mean, do you think, <clears throat> the NHL made the right decision going both to Canadian hub cities and that they picked the right ones for doing it in? Yeah. I mean, um, just because of my, my day job and being pretty much literally in the middle of, of uh, the COVID, COVID-19 pandemic here in Alberta, um, that's a little mixed question for me because, um, you know, did the NHL make the right decision going to Canada? Absolutely. Like, um, the case cases down in the States are just uh, it's, it's kind of scary and, and kind of uh, unfortunate that uh, it, it's, it is that bad down there, down, down South. Um, so, you know, in terms of the decision to move, have everything up in, in, um, in Canada, it, to me, it's no brainer. Like if you want to do it safely, you want to have limited cases, you got, you got to have it in Canada. Um, what was interesting and like I said in my uh, video is I've kind of had limited uh, time to really dedicate to follow along, but what I was able to follow along, um, you know, as Edmontonians, we're, we're pretty proud that we got selected. Um, however, like the selection process, I mean, from, from the get go and from, from people in the league that I'm still uh, keep close contacts with, it was always Vegas. Vegas was, the, the number one area that uh, they wanted to go to and the players wanted to go to. Uh, they had the infrastructure, the hotels, everything. And uh, it was always Vegas, always Vegas. And then it kind of got whittled down to Vegas, Vancouver. That was a rumor for a long time. Um, and then, uh, in my opinion, it was almost at the last minute they finally said to themselves, hey, look, we can't have it in Vegas because cases are going up again. So we've got to have it in Edmonton. So... I, I kind of feel like Edmonton, we're, we're happy that it got selected, but we're also kind of like, it, it took a pandemic for Edmonton to host it. It wasn't, you know, the NHL's first go-to. It was, you know, the players want to go to the Vegas and other cities. And um, so we kind of feel like a, a little bit of a runner-up, but hey, we'll take it. It's, it's, uh, it, we're, we're happy it's here. The Vegas choice always seemed kind of strange to me because I, I get that they were all, oh, we want to do Vegas. And the amount of hotel rooms made sense for that, but... It, it, it's not like the players were going to get to go to all the places in Vegas. It's not like you, they were going to send them into shows and casinos and all that. I mean, it, the bubble was going to have to happen. And honestly, probably the worst thing for the bubble going to Vegas was when Vegas started reopening casinos and started having people come back in because at that point you can't control what's going to happen. And, and no casino is going to let you shut down huge sections of their concourses or areas the way that, that Edmonton's got, you know, areas shut off. And in Toronto, they've got the, what, exhibition area and whatnot, BMO Field all shut down. I mean, nobody in Vegas was going to let you do that, so. Yeah, and 
you know, and even saying that here in Edmonton, like our, I mean, our cases, uh, you know, uh, comparatively speaking, aren't, aren't skyrocketing like it is kind of in the Southern states. Um, but it, the, it is starting to go up, um, which is a little bit concerning. And it, you know, I read the rules with um, when the NHL put out their release kind of stating what the defined details of the, uh, the hub city and stuff. And when I read through it, one, one, there's a couple red flags. One was there's a, there's a paragraph in there that all the hotel staff and the uh, arena staff and catering staff, they all get to go home um, at the end of the day. So theoretically they go outside of the bubble uh, to be home and then they come back in and work inside the bubble. Um, and even though they're being tested, you know, I, I have uh, friends, in the medical profession down in the States. And, you know, they've been keep keeping me up to speed of everything going on down there. And, and to me, you know, what, from what they told me is they, they trust a, a positive test, but they don't necessarily trust a negative test just because COVID is so unpredictable that even though if you test negative, doesn't mean you, you're not a hundred percent non asymptomatic. So you could potentially still be carrying it, even though you, you have a negative test. So there is some, there are some holes there, I think. Um, and I think luckily in Edmonton, we have a low case number, so maybe it won't be exposed. But when I was reading through, I kind of look at things from a, a non-biased view to, to see if there's anything that stood out for me. And that's one thing that, that kind of stood out for me. I can understand that. Cause it, they're, with them testing everyone, I mean, the idea is they'll catch it before it's symptomatic, but you're, or before it's, it's where somebody else might catch it. But you're right. There's always yep. that, that potential. Um, now, with your understanding of both the, I mean, I know you under, you know Edmonton really well. I'm not sure if you're as familiar with what they're doing in Toronto, or a little bit, trying- a little bit. It's it's basically mirrored, and the reason why I covered Edmonton, well, I'm here, so it's easy <laughs> for me to cover. But um, they're they're, hold, they're hosting the finals here too, so obviously there's going to be more activity in Edmonton. Um, but Toronto, yeah, Toronto, they have basically the similar setup. Uh, the hotels aren't as close, and the practice practice facilities aren't attached to uh, Scotiabank Arena. It's another facilities, the, the Maple Leafs practice facilities that's changed names. I know it as the MasterCard Center, but I think it's, it's changed its name to something else now. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of a different setup and Toronto is a, a obviously a bigger metropolitan area. So to your point, Edmonton is small enough that they're able to almost literally close off streets and it doesn't really affect the flow of, of traffic and stuff it does a little bit but if in toronto you wouldn't be able to do that if you shut down highways and streets it would it'd be like gridlock and it already gridlocked in toronto but it would cause <laughs> even more grief now with, with how busy you are day to day are you going to get any time to enjoy these hockey marathons that we're essentially going to have starting next saturday yeah you know what it's as canadians it's kind of weird because uh we only get yeah the, the hockey marathons um yeah you know what when i saw the the list um to be honest, I, I actually cut my cable uh, right after COVID started because when they cut, when they canceled hockey, I was just like, "Well, I'm not because I didn't think they were going to come back this year at all." To be honest, I um, seeing the logistics behind the scenes of team traveling and and even just the the play on ice, I was just like, "There's no way they're going to be able to salvage the season." And you know, in my my personal opinion, uh, the NHL, I know they really wanted to, to finish the season and they they kind of cited uh, financial reasons basically to, to kind of finish um, the the season. It was 
said to uh, they might lose a billion dollars if they didn't finish the season um, just with tv rates deals and the like um but my, my personal feeling was they they should have probably used the summer to figure out what they're going to do next season because this season is kind of a um uh, a huge challenge for them to finish and and i'll give them credit like they're they're being very stubborn <laughs> they want to they want to <laughs> award lord stanley this this summer and uh, I'll give them credit. They're finding a way to do it. Um, but what I think moving forward next season is going to be the real issue because we're just dealing with playoffs now, but next yeah. season, how are they going to do 82 games a season? How are they going to handle travel? How like they can't play a season in a bubble. That's, that's yeah. not realistic. So in my opinion, they should have used the summer because I think they need the entire summer to kind of like, Hey, how are we going to do this? How are we going to, make it safe for fans if we're going to let fans in like how that's going to go on um so anyways i, I didn't think the nhl season was going to return so i was i phoned my cable company i was like you know what we would we just watched netflix anyway so i'm gonna cut my cable <laughs> so i i don't even have access to watch it but um i saw the schedule and that that's crazy and you know if if uh if i didn't have four kids at home i might be able to just sit back and and binge watch hockey for <laughs> for the next two months but uh uh I'll, I'll try to watch some games and, and like like I said before up here in Canada we don't really get a, a summer very often or very long um, our summer only lasts uh, four months I mean even now it's it's today's like 18 degrees Celsius which is like 65 I think so yeah. it doesn't get ter terribly hot and so when we um, when we get summer we like to enjoy summer and It'll be very interesting, interesting to see the viewership numbers because Canadians, we love hockey, but we also have a short window of opportunity to go out and do stuff outside. So it'll be interesting to see the ratings. I, I'm sure during the finals, everyone will be tuning in because it, by then it'll be September, October. Yeah. But uh, for the rest of July and August here, like we like our summer. We like to be outside <laughs> as much as we can. And I can see that where like in Edmonton, the, the Oilers games love high ratings, but some of the other ones may not do so well until we yeah. get further along. So. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, one last thing I want to ask you about, because, again, into the buildings, into the branding, all of that. Between what they're doing with the building and what they're doing with the branding, what do you think of what Seattle's pulling off right now? Because it's – I mean, the building to me is, is kind of amazing what they're doing there. But the rest of it's interesting to go in a different direction from what a lot of other teams have done in the past. Yeah, and, and you, you kind of got that vibe with Seattle – Anyways, because uh, even, you know, they had, they br uh, brought on um, Granado as part of their staff. Like they're, they're doing things that are not uh, traditional, I guess, uh, in almost every sense of the word. And, and to be, to be completely honest, um, I love uh, fresh new things. I love pushing the boundaries and, and not really staying in the parameters of, of traditional hockey, so to speak. So I love it when things are new. And that, that's part of the reason why I love going out to all the rinks is because I wanted to see, you know, what the Blue Jackets did with their rink. I wanted to see what the Penguins did with their rink. I wanted to see what uh, Tampa Bay did with their rink. And everyone has a different take. And that's, you know, that kind of what, that's what makes it unique. And with Seattle, uh, the rink, you know, to kind of dive into a little bit of another reason why I like Seattle um, with the construction of the rink, because it, it's a very expensive, uh, you know, 
as most people know, to renovate is way more expensive than to just knock it down and build fresh. I mean, Vegas does that all the time with their uh, their casinos. They just they blow them up and build new because it's way more expensive to renovate. Um, but they they're able to renovate uh, climate change arena. Is that what it's called? I can't. Remember. Yeah, it's a long like word. That. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they they're doing it with private funds, and that's one kind of aspect that I touch on in my series is, is which rink is publicly and privately financed. Yeah. And, um, you know, my personal standpoint is, is that it should be no matter the public interest, if you could do it in private money without having a burden on the taxpayers, I'm all for, um, so this in Seattle, it's, it's all privately invested. So they can, they can spend as much as they want on that rink. As far as I concerned, if it's their money and they want to pump billions into it, they, they can go on ahead. Um, and the branding, uh, the reveal. What I was really impressed with with the the branding, the look, and the logo is, I I'm pretty in the know with jerseys. Some uh, they'll get leaked to me somehow, but I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear about any leaks about. I think we were all kind of rumored it was going to be the Kraken, but we didn't know for sure. And even the logo and the color scheme, no one had a clue. So I was really impressed not only with the logo, and the name because I think it's like you said it's kind of out there but it's almost uh like the team it's almost mythical they, they could do a lot of things with it yeah and um you know I remember I'm old enough now to remember when the sharks and the mighty ducks came onto the scene and I remember when the sharks came onto the scene like that jersey was everyone wanted to wanted to get it and uh even the the Mighty Ducks movie series was really popular at the time. And I'm, I'm sure adults were kind of like, Oh God, they're, they're calling a team, the Mighty Ducks. How stupid <laughs> is that? Um, and, and this is the the next chapter. Like I'm sure people out there are like, Oh, the Kraken, like what a dumb name. Like, they should have done something, but uh, I, I like it. What, what are your thoughts on, on the logo? I, I really liked it. I was happy with where they went. I thought Kraken was a great idea for name. Cause it's just different and strange and, and it felt like people connected with it very quickly when it started mm. becoming rumored, the idea of Kraken. I mean, the other idea is Sockeyes. I mean, that would have been fine, I guess. But Kraken was just unique and different. Uh, I think I think the, the debate on it was best summed up by an interaction I saw on Twitter where somebody tweeted the team's name and said, looks like we have a new candidate for dumbest name in sports. And someone <laughs> responded with, we literally have two baseball teams named after the color of socks. <laughs> I mean, any sports team name sounds kind of dumb when it first starts. And then as you get used to it, you're like, okay, this is the name. And you like the idea of stuff. I mean, I like the idea of seeing what else they're going to factor in with, with yeah. Kraken to it. I mean, are they going to try and really play up more of the mythical aspects? Are they going to put, are they going to do some fun, goofy pregame show stuff like the Vegas Golden Knights do? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of rich history there to deal with that you can you can really play with and have some fun with, and that's what I like to see. I mean, I, I I'm the kind of guy where I almost sometimes want to see these teams go to almost like theme park Disney levels of theming their stuff and how they pull this right. stuff off. So, yeah, and I heard uh, I watched a bit of their live stream when they unveiled it, and uh, I can't remember if it, if it was their CEO, but they he kind of dropped a little bit of a. Uh, a hint that they're going to, they have a third and a fourth Jersey already in the can ready to go. And one of them uh, will pay homage to the, the Metropolitans. Cause I love uh, that candy striping. I don't know why I love that 
that Christmas striping one. And if you go to um, EbbotsfieldFlannels.com, they actually sell um, that jersey. It, it's pretty pricey, especially for us up, up in Canada. The, the U.S. Canada exchange and the shipping almost doubles the price, almost. But um, it's it's like the it's knitted. It's in the, that kind of itchy flannel stuff, so you know it's kind of. <laughs> Uh, original and vintage, I guess, but uh, it's, I, I like that. And, and I, I can't wait to see what they have to pay homage to, to the, the old team, the original team. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. And, and to be honest, I think a lot, I heard a lot of comments of people that were just genuinely excited to talk about something that's positive about hockey right now. Um, not COVID related, not yeah. anything. It's just like, Hey, we got a new team coming on. And it's really exciting. Another thing that kind of surprised me about the announcement is just how there wasn't really a buildup to it. It was just kind of the night before they released a video saying, hey, tomorrow at 9 a.m. we're doing this. Like there was no, like you said, uh, with marketing, the, the Golden Knights, I believe they unveiled their logo first and then they did the jersey after. So there was a kind of a trickle build up to what the jersey was going to look look like, and yep. with Seattle, it's just like boom. Here's your colors. Here's your logo. Here's your jersey. Everything's out on the table, and that that was really cool. Um, it, it, and like I said, it, it was just a an exciting thing to talk about, other than just like uh, who's got COVID, who doesn't, how the team's doing, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that that was really cool. Um, for yourself, in terms of rinks around the league. Um, is there, have you been to many rinks? Um, was there any episodes that kind of caught you off guard with, oh, that, I didn't expect that? I mean, I haven't been to that many uh, at this point. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who came to hockey kind of late in life, so I've, I've started trying to make some trips here and there. But the only one I've, I, I've gotten in so far, other than just going to Nationwide for games, is going to uh, always the Prudential Center out in New Jersey. Mm. Uh, went out there and saw the Jackets play the Devils. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, nothing has caught me off guard yet too much because I'm kind of a nerd on this stuff too. So I like to read into it and try and get some of the history on there. Um, I've. Now, I did really you go to the Prudential? Did you go to the Prudential Center when it had its massive scoreboard, like the new gigantic yes. one? Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I haven't been. I know it has. I think it's that is the largest one in the league. But I haven't been to Prudential since. Like New Jersey's, that's really far away from here. So it's. Uh, but I was in there before, so I actually haven't seen the the gigantic scoreboard. It, in my opinion, on pictures, it looks it almost looks too big. But I don't know what does it look like. You know, it was. So I was up. I didn't know this when I bought the tickets, but apparently I sat in a section that tends to have some of the more rowdy Jersey fans. <laughs> um, so when I was there cheering for the Blue Jackets, they weren't too happy about it. But. Uh. All I all I had to do was join them in one Rangers suck chant, and they were all happy about it then. So I was like, "Yeah, we we all hate the Rangers, so we're good." Yeah. But the Prudential Center. So I've sat in the top row of Nationwide Arena. Mm-hmm. Top row, the, the the higher ends of the Prudential Center go higher from the ice, so that bigger scoreboard doesn't. I don't know that high up, it didn't look as foreboding. Right. Um, maybe further down, it it would be seem a little too big, but. When you're up in the higher higher parts of the arena, it it just kind of fit and it doesn't block any views of the ice, so it doesn't seem to. It, it didn't it didn't strike me as oh wow that's just ridiculous and I you know right. it, it's too much for it. It just kind of it almost felt like if you've ever been in a sports bar and you had you know you had one TV and then a TV higher than it, 
It almost felt like there was just a TV sitting on top of the game that you could watch. Right. Right. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah. Prudential center. Um, Jersey, Jersey fans are loud. Um, so my last game there was Marty Birder's retirement night oh, wow. and it was just coincidence. And um, so the old in-game, uh, the old in-game director um, from Rexall place, which is the original home of the Oilers, he actually went to Jersey. So I, and actually my old boss actually works for the devils and an old co- two old coal worker. They, Oilers TV basically went from Oilers to New Jersey, basically. So I know uh, quite a few people in, in Jersey. Um, but anyways, Birder's retirement night, I'm on ice level. And to be honest, I'm just shooting pictures and, and filming B-roll um, just for the sake of doing it. And I was on ice level. And when the crowd, when that Jersey crowd, they, they cheered Marty or Birder and you know they had Patrick Eliash and they had a bunch of old vets come back like it's I think that's maybe one of the loudest crowds I've ever heard in person it was just so loud and um and you're right yeah they're it's kind of that area of the U.S. right like it's Jersey New York like they're boisterous and loud and and they'll 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 let you know when they don't agree with something but (laughs) when I was on the ice um with Birder's retirement, it was, it was, it was deafening. It was like, so I remember just having my camera and looking around when they were chanting, I was like, Holy crap, this is loud. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's Jersey fans are loud. <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of cautious about when it comes to this, the, how these bubbles are going to work because I, I mean, I've been to playoff hockey games and there's that atmosphere where it's just yep. like, nobody is sitting down for the whole game you're you know you're yelling yourself hoarse and I just getting I don't I mean I know that energy translates to the guys on the ice but so I don't know what it's going to feel like when there's no fans when there's video boards and there's recordings I mean I how are they going to respond it's just going to be interesting to see yeah and you know when it is you know, uh, even a, even a quarterfinal or, or semifinal conference semifinal, um, when, you know, when they score in overtime, like usually if you're the home home team and you, and you score, the crowd goes absolutely bananas. And uh, you're right. I think players get a buzz off of not only scoring the goal, winning the game, but they also get a buzz off of the crowd that are going nuts. And even just visually, like I, uh, Dave Sanford is a photographer for the NHL and he, he arrived here in town and he's, you know, he just was on Instagram and posting about how he's going to put some remote cameras in there. And, and I was thinking visually, um, there's a, a, always a lot of iconic photos, especially in overtime victories that the, the players are, are celebrating and you have the crowd going wild behind them that's now going to be replaced with, you know, covered seats that are empty and how that's going to look. It's, it is going to be weird. Um, I think at this point with the players and with fans, they're obviously just tired of nothing. So yeah. this, this, this is what it is. Um, but it is going to be weird. And there's always been this debate of will the, this year's Stanley cup get an asterisk? Like, will, will this be kind of like, Oh, well that was the COVID cup type thing. And I'm kind of on both sides of that because on one hand, I'm like, they're still going to be competing 110%. It's, it's not, that part is not going to change. What is going to be different is uh, I do think it's going to be different. Like you say, the crowd brings um, a certain type of energy into the player's performance. And I do think that that affects them. Yeah. And uh, when they win the Stanley Cup championship, 
yeah, I think it's just going to be different. And I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. It, right. it is what it is. But, um, you know, prepping for a game, like guys get amped up to hear the crowd, you know, during the anthem, like, you know, places like Chicago, the crowd is just deafening. And that gets you jacked up for the game and ready to play. That's not going to be there anymore. And they can pipe in the sound all they want, but it's you not going to be the same. It's not the same. I, yeah, I see that. And on the other side of it, I, I'm almost anticipating one of the more, one of the higher quality tournaments we've seen because normally you get the Stanley Cup after guys have played an 82 game regular season and just beaten themselves. So you get yeah. a bunch of injuries, you get guys who are worn down. Now it's like we're coming in off the off season and we're yeah. going into the most important games of the year. <laughs> so it's going to be just this weird mix. I mean, those playing rounds, I can see some teams coming out just firing and some coming out as duds. I mean, it's going to be a weird, a really weird playoff. Yeah, it's you're going to have those vets who were kind of banged up towards the end of the season. Now they're going to be 100% ready to go. Um, it, it is going to be really it's, – it's a complete crapshoot because I've always been an opinion of, of the opinion, and I think this holds a lot of weight because if you look at teams like St. Louis, who won the Cup last year – like they were dead last in the league and they just caught the wind and just, they built on the momentum right into the play. They, they peaked at the right time. And now you got teams that aren't peaking at all. They're, they're, like you said, starting right from zero basically. And they got to get to a hundred real quick. Yeah. Um, that was always, you know, with teams that go into the playoffs. Um, I mean, even, even the Oilers, like we have Connor McDavid, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a Stanley cup favorite even though they say you are, because I personally think that you got to hit, you got to hit the playoffs uh, on a good peak rhythm. Because if, even if you have the all-star player on the team, if your team isn't really gelling when the playoffs hit, uh, you're kind of doomed the rest of the way. Like there are some examples that they come together and and pull it off. But like, like I said, just take St. Louis last year. Like they were dead last. I can't imagine the morale in that locker room in January, December, must have been like completely all-time low. And then something happened, and they just clicked, and they just rode that wave all the way to the finals. So, uh, like you said, it, I, I don't even know who to really predict. Do you have, do you have a prediction? No, no. Yeah, I think it's I silly to try and predict this because it's just going to be maybe you catch a goalie who's hot now. Maybe, uh, yep. maybe somebody starts scoring that you didn't see happening. I mean, how many seasons does a season start and for 10 games somebody we've never heard of looks yep. like a hall of famer yep. and then they never, and then they score three goals the rest of the year. Yep. I mean, they'll score, they'll score eight or nine in the first 10 games and then they'll score three the rest of the year. So, but if you score eight or nine ga- goals in your first 10 games this time around, I mean, that, that could be the beginning of going for a con Smythe. I mean, that's, yep. that's the way yep. it's going to be. It, and, and the other, the X factor going into this too. And another red flag for me with this year's playoffs is the fact that, I don't know. You can't tell me that, you know, let's, let's say uh, it's Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Edmonton finals and Connor McDavid test positive game seven. You can't tell me that the NHL is going to be like, I, I think you mean negative test. <laughs> oh no, no, it's positive. No, 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 no. I think you mean negative tests. Like I, <laughs> I just, it, it's like a concussion protocol. Like, the NHL is all about concussion protocol during the maybe first round where they're like, Oh no, he's got to go to the black room or dark room. And 
that absolutely vanishes in, in the Stanley Cup finals. There's guys could have their heads taken off and they'd be like, <laughs> you gotta go to the dark room and they'd be like, screw you. I'm not going. And I think the same thing is going to be with the COVID test. Like I hope it isn't. And I hope they stick to the right. letter of the law with that. But you, the mind has to think that after all this is done, there'll be stories coming out that, Oh, you know, so-and-so tested positive and they didn't do anything about it. So that's, that's another red flag for me. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. <laughs> I, I, I don't want you to be right, but I can. And the thing is, it's not even just, Oh, they keep the player. I could see the whole team finding out. And if you're in, like you said, if you're in a deciding game of the Stanley cup, I can see the whole team saying, whatever, we can win the cup. Let's just yeah. do it. Because that's, yeah, let's, that's let's, the hockey mentality of, yeah, let's just know, push through long, it. If, you know, I will die to win a Stanley Cup. It feels like sometimes yeah. that's yeah. To both, it is. It's it's like so many other things about hockey is that two-edged thing of there's a part of that that's kind of admirable, and there's a part of it where it's like eh, maybe you gotta maybe you should lay off here a little bit. So I've always had the my friends and I have always had this debate: is um, if your star player or a star player plays injured. Is he a is he a a detriment or uh, does he help the team as opposed to putting someone healthy in that's a hundred percent than having your you know a, a star defenseman who's like maybe at sixty percent he has to have his hips and his knees all freezed up that that's always an interesting debate to me because like you say it's almost admirable for for players it's that sign of toughness and like you know I have my teeth knocked out it doesn't matter send me back out there coach. Um, but when you're in the playoffs and you have like a, uh, you know, for, if you're the Canadians, you have Shea Weber and you can barely skate, you know, is he better than a younger guy who's a hundred percent? It's, you know, experiences, you know, how much does experience come into that? Obviously a lot, because they always do that. Like you always hear when the Stanley Cup of finals, like, Oh, so-and-so played with a broken rib. So-and-so played with like, he had to have. Uh, freezing injected in both his hips and like you know like it's always an interesting debate I always love bringing that one up yeah I hopefully we see it less this year I'm hoping that with things just starting up you have less injuries but I don't know maybe you mean you'll have more it's going to be chaos before we get to the end of this that's that's what I'm sure of it'll be it's going to be fun to watch that that I will be that I'm sure of on it um all right well it's been it's been fun talking with you, Jeff. I mean, if people want to find your stuff, what you're working on, where do they find it? Yeah, so uh, I'm on YouTube. My main channel is YouTube. So just uh, search uh, Rinks Around the League. Make sure to hit subscribe. I'm about 80 subscriptions away from being monetized. So that's uh, kind of a big step for me. That's the next goal is uh, when I started the series, I didn't really set out to like make money or anything like that. But um, it would be nice to have some sort of validation with moving forward because then i oh people like it i'll keep doing it so uh on youtube make sure you hit subscribe i have all of the reviews of all um more than 32 rings i think i did reviews of 34 because of uh, joe Louis arena and rexall place and nassau coliseum and barclays um and then i have a i have a top 10 list uh last season i started doing guests on the show uh this season i'm gonna kind of do a little bit of a hybrid of some people probably coming in via uh, zoom probably because uh social distancing i don't know if i can have them in this in the studio uh but on my social channels on twitter instagram underscore at the rinks uh as well as uh rinks on league on facebook but uh yeah follow follow along um like i said in my video i'm gonna try my best to kind of keep people in the loop of what's going on like uh, last week there was a big flood 
in Rogers Place. I don't know if you read about that, but we had a huge storm that flooded. Uh, part of the roof fell in and uh, not in the rink. It was not attached to the rink. So thank God for that. But uh, it did get into like the video control room of, of the rink. And that that's scary. That that controls every electronic thing in the, in the arena. So that's kind of scary. But uh, I'll try to keep fans up to speed on everything going on there. Uh, but like I said, us Canadians, we're on my summer break. So uh, I'll, I'll be on a road trip with my kids here fairly soon. So I'll, I'll try to keep everybody in the, in the loop. But yeah, just just watch playoff hockey and, and we'll ca- catch everybody up on the in the fall. <laughs> Awesome. Well, it's been uh, great talking to you. Maybe we'll, we'll catch back up with you in the fall or whenever they figure out what's going to happen next season. Who knows how yeah. that'll go. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thanks much. Thank you. Are you looking for a new Jersey? Is there a new player you want? Do you want to, do you want an Elvis Jersey? Do you, do you get excited about, are you looking forward to the draft when a, uh, when the blue jackets make a first round pick and you can, whoever it is, you want to get a Jersey of them right away. I don't know. Whatever you're looking for, I do know that what you want to do is you want to go to coolhockey.com slash THPN when you want to get a jersey uh, and use the promo code THPN because you're going to get uh, you're going to get 30% off there at the website. And, and coolhockey.com, I know that when you're searching around for jerseys online, you're wondering, am I going to get something that's worth it? Am I going to get one of these weird knockoffs where the numbers are all weird? What's going to happen? Coolhockey.com is going to have a great selection for you. They ensure that every product that leaves the doors is done to the specifications of the NHLPA. They don't outsource their jerseys for customization, so they're able to offer you all the best ones, um, great quality on it. Uh, so again, go to coolhockey.com slash THPN, so forward slash THPN, and use the promo code THPN for all your hockey jersey needs. Again, coolhockey.com slash THPN. I want to thank Jeff Nash for doing that interview again. It was really cool. Um, I've really liked his YouTube channel. Go check it out. Uh, Rinks around the league. Um, subscribe to, the, to his channel. It's it's entertaining. It's worth it. It's, it's a good time. Um, last story I wanted to touch on. There's a lot of stories going on in the NHL right now. This one happened today on Sunday, and it's just craziness. And I'm going to put in my two cents on it before we close out this week. Um, and it's it's what's happened in Arizona with their GM, John Chica. Now, first thing, there's there's been some weirdness um, around them for a while as far as it seemed like John Chica was having issues. I think this all started with there was a dinner where the ownership took Taylor Hall out and his agent to dinner. And we're talking about trying to sign a new contract and John Chica wasn't there. And that really started a lot of speculation as to, wait, why isn't the GM at a conversation with who could be your big free agent, the guy you're kind of, you know, have your whole team built around at this point. And so that led to some speculation. Well, in the last 48 hours, it's all really come to a head because there's been these stories coming out that apparently at one point, John, somebody said that Chaika uh, wanted to interview for a position somewhere outside of hockey and now we have people telling us that's not what happened. And it all cultivated today in the Coyotes releasing a statement where they fired John Chaka. Let me pull up the exact thing. So if you're watching the video version of this, you can you can uh, see exactly what it says there. But um, in it, they essentially call him a quitter. No, it's not essentially. Let me get let me get the exact the exact quote of it here for you folks. 
but it's bizarre because that is one of those is it not even on their homepage did they take it off of their homepage that's amazing if they did that it's not even on their homepage that is hilarious <laughs> So essentially, in the thing, they called him a quitter. They said he quit on them right before this. I mean, it reads like a some some teenager writing a letter who'd just been spurned on a date to the prom or something. And then Chaika releases something later, uh, just a few minutes later, essentially saying that he wishes the team the best of luck, and the person who's listed as the uh, interim GM, he wishes him the best of luck and says he works great. And then he threw shade and pretty much said, all of these problems are on ownership. Which is just crazy. I mean, that, that all this is coming out as the team is flying into Edmonton to go into this bubble. So, I don't know what happened yet. Nobody really knows what happened yet. Let me say this, though. The Coyotes could not have been dumber in how they handled this. And this is why I say it. They could have made their statement more muted. And they didn't. They went hard. And what that means is... I mean, quit is a crazy word to use in pro sports. To say somebody quit on a team. that Them's fighting words as far as pro sports are concerned. As far as any sport are concerned. To say you quit on somebody is just about as low an insult as you can get. Maybe calling somebody soft is, is about the next lowest thing. But that's, that's crazy. And what you've done, if you're the Coyotes, is you have ensured that when these Zoom calls happen with media for the Coyotes, all of them are going to be asked about John Chaika quitting on the team why would you do that I mean if, if the story has reached a place where you have to give an answer about what's happened with Chaika you can do it you you find some way to gloss it over and try and make it not a big deal and that way your players don't have this thing hanging over them but now they will going into this thing where they have to play a five game series against the National Predators for the season now they have to answer it it's insane. It's crazy to me. I don't get it. It was a bad choice on their part, but but here we are. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, again, a bit of a long show today, but hey, it's it, this is one of the craziest times I've seen in league history, so we're we're heading into it with, with some big stuff. So uh, thank you all for listening, and go Jackets. Please connect with the show on Twitter, at ShootOncePod, and thank you for listening to the Shoot Once Podcast.